this is Sammy. I wanted to let you know that Star's recording unfortunately malfunctioned and we lost most of her track, so you won't be hearing her until the last few minutes of this episode. Hello and welcome to KeeperCast, the Keeper of the Lost Cities podcast. I'm Sammy. I'm Star. And I'm Tegan. And this is episode 21, brought to you by the Unlocked Cover. Woo! Woo! Um, yeah, I guess we should start off by talking about the cover that dropped, um, well, by the, well, it dropped on Wednesday, so by the time this episode is posted, that'll be, like, four days ago, um, I don't know, I'm, I was so excited about it, I think it looks fantastic. I'm not completely caught up on the series, so I don't understand all the intricacies of the cover, but I think it looks so stunning, like, it's so pretty. I don't know. I don't really know what I was expecting. Like, I think since it since um, Unlocked is like a dual POV from Sophie and Keith's perspective, I I was like really sure that it was going to look like a a split screen sort of with Sophie's face on one side and Keith's face on the other. But no, that was not to be. Um, but so I was, yeah, I was I was really surprised actually that it was just Sophie, but. Um, I just think it looks so cool and like the idea behind it is really cool too with like each of the sections of the background um I think Shannon said it like symbolizes each part of Sophie's journey I don't know much about the cover so I can't add a ton (laughs) you know I can just read I have um I have her Instagram pulled up right now so I can read the caption and what she said about it it says this is the first time Sophie has been alone on a cover um, and this is because Unlocked is both a continuation of the main story from Legacy and a super fun series guide. So the book basically covers Sophie's entire journey so far, and we wanted to let her shine by herself on the cover. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the reason why it's just so it's just Sophie alone, um, because, like, Unlocked, I, I don't know, I guess they're promoting Unlocked as more of, like, a side book. Like, as a, like, it's not book nine, but it's still continuing forward with the story. I'm a little confused as to how that's going to go, actually, but I'm interested to see how, what, what happens and what goes on. Um, yeah, and then the caption also says, let's see, it says, this is the first time the cover doesn't illustrate a specific scene, but is simply meant to symbolize Sophie's journey. So what you're seeing is Sophie and Sylvani teleporting through the void, surrounded by glimpses of some of the places Sophie's been. Um, So, yeah, so I'm looking at the cover right now, and you can see, like, it's, yeah, Havenfield is, like, in the top left corner, and then Eternalia is next to it, and then you also see Foxfire and Gildingham. That's sweet. And someone on Tumblr I'm sorry, I don't remember who it was. Oh no. But somebody on Tumblr actually pointed out that each of the each of the colors in each corner of the cover actually it's the same as um as the colors of the first four books. Like there's one that's kind of purple and then one that's green and then um orange and red. So I don't know if that was intentional, but that's really cool. Foxfire looks exactly the way I imagined it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in the bottom right corner, it looks exactly the way I imagined. Yeah. Foxfire looks really cool. And also Eternalia. Like, 
that's not exactly how I imagined it. Um, but I guess it makes sense because it's like, it literally does look like a city made out of jewels, which it is, so. I like the shaping, the way that they shaped the buildings because it makes it look even more like jewels. Right, they literally just look like giant gemstones kind of coming out of the ground. And I also love the dinosaurs at Havenfield. I think it's great. Well, that's where we started. The first, like, creature you meet is a dinosaur. Glad the dinosaurs are getting some appreciation. They also, um, on the cover, as Shannon explains in the comments, that she looks a little younger than some of the recent covers because they wanted to pick an age that represented her whole journey. So she's actually, she looks younger than she does on the cover of Legacy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. It's a, it's a cool choice that they made. It doesn't feel like it's the next step, but like a part within what's already happened. Yeah, it, the cover kind of gives off the vibe of like, that Unlocked is going to be like a, the story thus far kind of situation. It feels like a story within a story. Yeah, yeah. Like, it feels like something a little bit separate from the rest of the series, which is, I guess, what they were going for with the design. This is also, like, a really small detail, but I love the little keyhole in the O in Unlocked. I think that's very fun. <laughs> I love Sophie's tunic. Like, like it's so pretty. I like the fabric, the way it looks. Mm-hmm, yeah, it looks kind of, like, I don't know, like, translucent and flowy. And it also looks like something she hasn't worn in any of the other colors, like covers. Because she's usually wearing like pretty solid, like really practical clothing. But in this, she really looks like done up and more like, I always say her name wrong, Bianca or Bianca. Yeah, it does look like a shirt that like Bianca would wear. Also, like, she's looking ripped, like the front... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you ripped. are you talking about Sylvanie? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's like she's ripped. Okay, like she's been she's been working out. We see her and Gravel have just been like working out. She looks like she's benching it like five hundred pounds. <laughs> that was like the first thing I noticed when I saw the cover. Also, <laughs> well, it's right in the center. Mm-hmm. And on her kneecap, there's, like, a heart. It almost looks like a heart. Oh, yeah, there's, like, a little heart shape. Yeah, I don't know if that's, like, just her her joint, or... We'll say it's intentional. Is that all we have to say about the cover? I have... I'm just finished, um, never seen... I have to make sure I'm reading the right one. I just finished, um, flashback, so I, I'm still trying to catch up right now. Um, do you want to move on to some listener correspondence? Go right ahead. All right, because we got a lot of messages last week. Um, let's see. Uh, we'll start with some. We got some shorter comments from um, Instagram. Um, our first one is from Jem Lumby and just commented, I'm so excited with some hearts. So thank you. Um. And we also got a message. This was on, um, this was a comment on a post for episode three. So this is a comment on like one of the very earliest episodes. Um, it's from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. It's from Renox. And the comment is, you guys broke my heart when you said you don't like Keith. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. The The truth is that, like, I don't not like Keith, but I don't... I'm not, like, a super fan of him either. So, shrugs. I love Keith. Which is, like, that's really valid. Keith. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons to really like Keith. Yeah. I used to be a Sofit shipper a lot, like, when I started reading it. Now I'm down with Keith. Down for the count. I mean, he's a he's a pretty cool character. He's really interesting, especially in the later books. He seems like more of like a less like a companion and more like his own individual in the later books, which makes me like him more. Yeah, like especially with Unlocked, right, being from like a dual POV, it seems a lot like he's becoming sort of the second protagonist next to Sophie rather than just like another part of the group. And that's like I feel like once characters get more of, like, the limelight, you tend to grow to like them more because you understand them better. Right, and they just get, like, more depth. But, yeah, I love Keith. I don't know about what y'all were saying, but, like, I'm down for Keith. Yeah, I don't actually remember what we were saying in episode three about Keith, but... I don't think I joined the podcast by that time. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really early on. You know, it's it's kind of funny. We've been doing this podcast for, yeah, this is week 21. So we've been doing it for like almost half a year now. And the other day I, I went back and I tried to listen to like the first episode and I just couldn't like, I was like, oh man, this is so embarrassing. We were so bad at it. The cringe. <laughs> Did we get any other messages or is it just those two? Yeah, so we got three anonymous messages on Tumblr. One of them came to the KeeperCast Tumblr, and then the other two came to my personal Malamelting. Um, so the so the one that came to the KeeperCast Tumblr um, said, Hi, KeeperCast. I've been listening for a while and finally got around to asking a question. What's your opinion on Livy slash Physic? P.S. I agree. Let the foster sisters text. Okay, so some context for this one was that um, in the last episode, we were talking about how now Sophie's, how like Dex installed the internet on Sophie's iPod. So now we were like, oh, so why can't she and Amy like email or text? So that's where that PS comes from. Um, Yeah, my opinion on on Livy slash Physic, (laughs) we're the same person, is that I really like her character. I think, um, I think she's really interesting I think she's really cool like she's one of the I mean to be honest I don't actually think about her that much like as much as some of the more prominent characters but I think that from what we've seen of her she seems really cool she seems responsible and good at what she does um and yeah I like her how about how about you Tegan I'm not at that point yet (laughs) Oh no! It's okay. Well, wait. I'm just not there yet. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. Wait. When does when does Physic come into the series? Have you met her yet? She's just started. Like I just met her. So like I'm not very close to it, but I'm like I just ordered Legacy, so I'm like about to get back into it. Like I'm ready to be updated. Got it. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Physic is the Black Swan's medic, right, and, um, 
Yeah, I don't actually remember which book she's prominent in, but she is pretty prominent in one of the later books. Um, I think it's the one where they're all, like, at the Black... I mean, the Never Seen. Why did I just say that? The Black Swan's Hideout. When they're at, like, the healing center and stuff. Is that flashback? Yeah, I think that's when you first meet. Yeah, I think um, she's pretty cool. She has a cool mask. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Sis is not going to get Rona. She's not going to get Corona. (laughs) Yep, physics of quarantine queen. Quarantine queen. She knew it was coming and prepared. Okay, so our two other messages that we got... Um, the first one that I'm going to read is, it says about, okay, I feel like this need, these two are both kind of long, so I feel like they both need context, because we were talking about a lot of stuff in the last episode, so the context for, for this one is that we, is that Ivy and I um, came up with this theory that the counselor circlets act as a sort of, um, emotional restrictor like that makes sure that they make like purely logical decisions or they don't let emotions control them as much and possibly like um sort of relating to like dex's ability restrictor and like maybe their circlets work in a similar way so this message said about the counselor's circlets being some kind of minor mind control Orly takes hers off when she's doing something Black Swan related, um, giving Sophie Kenrick's cash and helping Sophie with her enhancing, plus one scene in Nightfall. If the circlets are designed to make someone's character alignment lawful instead of chaotic, maybe Orly's noticed this and chooses to take her circlet off whenever she's doing something linked to the Black Swan. Also, awesome episode. That's such a smart theory. and almost has, like, backup and, like, canon evidence. Yeah, like... That's something I never really noticed or thought of, that, like, Orly never wears her circlet while she's working with the Black Swan. How did how did she know this? She just, like, knew that. Like, knew that she wasn't wearing her circlet during all this. That's impressive, like, memory. Yeah, like, that takes some, that takes some dedication to just be able to, like, pull that out of your head. So, good on you, Anonymous. Kudos. Yeah, that would be such a cool, like you know, little Easter egg or bit of foreshadowing if that actually was intentional. Um, it would it would be interesting to see if the counselors, like, should, like, a final battle, you know, type of scenario come down if they take off their circlets. And you get to, like, you get to, like, see their real power, you know, and their true personalities. Mm-hmm, yeah, like, and it would be interesting to see, like, if maybe there's a split, like, which counselors choose to take off their circlets and which choose not to. And it might also show you how, like, because as I'm getting into the later books, I'm starting to see that the council is becoming more of, like, a scapegoat bad guy. Like, the never seen you at least kind of see their motives, but the council, you don't really see it as much. It'd be interesting to give them some of their, like, dynamic back. And our final message on Tumblr, um... Let's see. Oh, we also need some context for this one. Um, In the last episode, we were getting really confused about whether or not Sophie can read. 
And this is something that's actually come up like a surprising number of times over the last couple weeks. Like I've seen this brought up like three times on various social medias in just the last couple weeks, um, which is that there's this question of like, wait, so we know that Sophie can't read certain types of runes, but like we don't know what's written in those runes and what's not. So like, what can she read? Is she functionally literate? Who knows? <laughs> that would be terrifying. Like if she wasn't functionally literate at like Foxfire. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's terrifying. Like imagine going to school and not knowing how to read. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I assume at least that even if she couldn't instinctively read the normal runes, then by now, like, by legacy, she'll have learned how to read, I hope. Um, I would love to see this scenario in, like, one of the first or second books where they're, like, read chapter 36 from, like, their textbook, and she just goes, I can't read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and then so this... So this message said, Sophie can read normal runes and the Black Swan cipher, but not the fancier, more formal runes. The Black Swan changed the fancy rune part of her brain to be cipher rune. It's in chapter 10 of Keeper 1. Also, Counselor Leora is described as having bronze-colored skin in chapter 35 of Everblaze before Sophie describes Emery as being distinctive because of his dark skin. Parenthesis, I'm confused now. Um, I'm enjoying listening to episode 20. You're bringing up stuff I hadn't noticed before. Okay, so first of all, that, that second part of, um, of the ask was, it was about, we were bringing up the fact that in Everblaze, like, they, um, there was this passage where they described all the counselors, they said, like, all the counselors look exactly the same, except for Emery. And we just thought that was a little funny. Um, so. That dude's, like, by himself. Yeah. hmm Um, but. Yeah, about the the runes. I'm just really thankful that there are, like, people here who actually remember enough about the books or, like, are able to go back into the previous books and pick out um, where we're wrong because I would not... I mean, we... I mean, I obviously didn't remember that on our own, so, like, thank you. Now we know. This is why we have you guys. You guys are the real ones. God bless everyone who res- who is Red Keeper and knows way more than we do. All right, so those were all of our messages. Um, and so now I think we can finally start getting into the section that we read for this week, which was um, chapter 61 all through the end of Everblaze. So we finished book three. Woohoo! Woo, we finished the book. And it was just as good the second time. This one, still R.I.P. Forever R.I.P. R.I.P. Counselor who shall not be named. And yet you all know exactly who we're talking about. He said, live fast, die young. (laughs) He probably was like 500 years old, honestly. (laughs) Well, you know, young and elven years. Live fast, die young, even if you're 500 years old. This section begins... With one of my favorite parts in the book, that, and that is the part where Dex comes into um, Sophie's room, and he starts like explaining. There's this one paragraph where he's just explaining that um, 
you know, after that he only did the circlet, he only built it because, um, because like he cares so much about his family and like he doesn't want the triplets to have to go through what he went through, like having parents who were a bad match. Um, and like he wanted to be respected in elven society. And that part just always really gets me, like hits me in the feels. It also seems really like his reasoning is seems very like genuine and has like a lot of basis to it. Right. Like it's not a bad reason. And it's not like it isn't partially true. He's constantly ridiculed for his parents being a quote-unquote bad match. And he's kind of was starting to get left behind in the books now. He became the sideline character. Yeah, there, are, there is kind of this, like, through-line through line of, like you said, yeah, Dex kind of just being pushed to the sideline kind of by the council, by elven society, by everyone in general. And it's like that all kind of comes to that all kind of ends up contributing to the circlet and it's gotten and it's got gotten by now to a point where like it's not that hard to it's pretty easy to understand why he would do it and it's not like what he was feeling stopped for a while like he still was being shoved aside in later books but I've always felt really bad for Sophie in the time that she was wearing her circlet because she didn't ask to be the way that she is. She never does anything with malicious intent, and they still put her in that, like, torture device. And it's like, the thing with the circlet that makes it so powerful, I think, is that it wasn't really anybody's fault. Like, it obviously wasn't Sophie's fault for having all these abilities. It, I mean, Dex made the circlet, but, you know, as he just explained... It's not entirely on him because he, you know, he has his own reasons. And then, I mean, the council arguably, like, yeah, it is kind of their fault. But then they also had kind of um, defensible reasons for doing it. You know, they wanted to, like, like, they wanted to keep safety as their priority and they didn't trust Sophie with her abilities. So it's like there isn't really a clear villain in that scenario because the Never Seen isn't really involved in any of that. And they've never had anything like this. Not every, most governments and most people who, like, lead, they aren't always right. They make the best decisions that they can in that moment, and you look back and see that it wasn't a good idea at all. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't forgive him right away. She still gets really sassy with Dex, and I was kind of like, okay. I mean, like, all right. I really liked the fact that she, like, held him to a standard. Like, she's like... You did do something wrong, and he did apologize for it. Going on a little further, there was a section where Sophie was, like, talking with Magnate Leto, and um, there's this passage that I feel like people quote a lot, like, I see it a lot on Instagram posts and stuff, but it's, um, he told her that Bronte told him that it takes a special person to see darkness inside of someone and not condemn them. I really like that line, although, to be honest, like, in context, I'm still not entirely sure what it meant. I just, I think that this also kind of, I hope that in later books, Sophie and the gang eventually go to the towers for school. 
So I feel like that would present such an interesting dynamic with Leto. Because he is a really great character. Yeah, like, I mean, he's already gotten a bit of an arc and some character development. I hope that just carries through. But I also think that maybe Bronte will get, like, he'll maybe, like, grow even more in the series than he has. And I think that with the passage, like, it seems special. It takes a special person to see darkness inside of someone and not condemn them. Maybe later on we're going to meet a character who is seems all bad, but in all reality just needs to be forgiven. Maybe, like, Brandt, maybe later on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or, like, if there's... If there ends up being, like, a character who maybe was a part of the Never Seen and then ends up, you know, joining the Black Swan or something like that, and then... Oh, like, um... Oh, this was a character in Legacy, but there's there's a character named Glimmer. Um, she's a new member of the Never Seen, and I feel like she might have some sort of redemption arc in later books. So it would be interesting if, like they have an argument or something about, you know, whether to let that person in um, based on what they've done in the past, and then maybe that quote will come up again. I also think it might be related to her inflicting, because condemn can sometimes mean, like, hurt or past judgment, which inflicting is. It's inflicting something on someone else. Maybe she has to learn that sometimes a person may deserve to get inflicted on but choose not to do that sometimes it's better to not do it than to do it right yeah that's really interesting and with the inflicting thing also um that reminded me of oh man I think it was an exile um where Sophie tried inflicting positively on Bronte and then he just like could not process it um he had an allergy yeah <laughs> reaction <laughs> mm-hmm. um so maybe that's kind of like Maybe that's the kind of darkness inside of him that he was talking about that, like, oh, maybe just, yeah, like, despite having this darkness inside of him, Sophie still tried to inflict positively on him or, like, I don't know, something like that. I just had an idea. You can totally tell me I'm crazy, but it takes a special person to see darkness inside of someone and not condemn them. Maybe he means her about herself. Oh. Because she always sees a darkness inside of herself, and she always tries to make it seem like the only way to fix the situation should be her getting hurt or her dying, being like, I'm, I don't deserve certain things. And maybe later on, with more and more decisions that she makes, she has to choose not to condemn herself. Oh, that's really interesting. I actually, I like that idea a lot. Because, yeah, I agree, there's always... There's kind of been this running line of, like, Sophie throwing herself into danger first. And, like, Sophie being like, I'll sacrifice myself. Um, but maybe there needs to be something in the series that's more about, um, like, Sophie figuring out her own worth. That'd be an interesting concept to see Sophie. Because Sophie does often come through as a character who sees that the only way to get through something is I'm the only one who's able to do it. And she might later on have to be like, I can't do this. I have to grow from it and learn to do things with my friends and not condemn myself to being alone. Yeah, like there's like, there's definitely a message to be found there and like, 
learning that you have to lean on your friends and that you can't like you Sophie might have all these amazing abilities but ultimately she does have a limit to what she can do alone and it's okay to like to pass that some of that burden onto other people yeah I just had that thought like right now and I was like I have to share that yeah it's a really cool thought next uh we talk it comes up that Jolie's like journal that Sophie uses a mirror for to like translate it where her ruin ability does not come back into play she's illiterate (laughs) yeah yeah so this this was kind of the context of that that we were talking about because we were like wait but she can read the cover of Jolie's journal but Edeline can't so like was the cover written in cipher runes what's the deal with that um so I still I, I think it was written in Cypher Runes, but I'm still not 100% sure. But, um, but yeah, the inside, at least, is in mirror writing, so... She gets it eventually, but still starts illiterate. I actually really had, like... I had a really intense mirror writing phase when I was, like, 8 or 9. Like, I would write everything backwards, so you could only see it if you looked in the mirror... That's an impressive skill. (laughs) That's, like, one of the weird skills you have later on in your life that people are like, how did you do this? Like, what inclined you to learn this? And you're just like, seventh grade summer, I was bored. (laughs) Yeah. I still reread this section where, like, Jolie is telling Sophie, like, it's brand with, like, cue cards with the name brand written on it and sophie's like who is it yeah Mm -hmm. sophie's just like tell me his name why would you say his name and i'm just like please girl use context clues you passed you were in high school english did you never learn context clues she literally would have had to get hit by a bus with the name Brandt written on it for her to realize. Oh, she's funny. Who is it? You can figure it out pretty easily. It's like Sophie's so smart, but at the same time, sometimes she's just also like rolls as your own wisdom. 100% smarts in book smarts and 5% in street smarts. The only person with a brain cell in the whole group is Dex. So, yeah, Jolie's journal is sort of like telling the story of how she was recruited by the Black Swan and then by the Never Seen, and then we learned that she was like a double agent um, working undercover for the... She was working undercover at with the Never Seen for the Black Swan. What was Jolie's ability? I, I always forget that. Was she a conjurer? Yeah, I think she was a conjurer. She and Adeline were both conjurers. Okay, so I was like, they tend to pick people with specific powers for certain, like, groups. Each group tends to sway towards one of the powers. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually, a question that I kind of had, um, that I've had for a while was, like, why were the Black Swan and the Never Seen so interested in Jolie specifically? Like, what made her special that they both wanted to recruit her. Maybe she had another ability that just hasn't been talked about yet, because Adeline and 
Granny might not have known about it. Yeah, maybe. It also would have made it much more understanding of why both groups were so inclined to get her. Yeah, like, if she had some rare ability that, like, not a lot of people knew about. Yeah. Maybe Brant knows. Maybe he'll talk about it. Maybe why he'll come to talk about why they were so obsessed with her. And then, oh, and then, well, speaking of Brant, so once Sophie figures out, finally figures out that it's Brant, um, she and Grady end up going over to his house. And Grady then we get, goes mental. Yes, we get that iconic scene where then he burns burn. off his hand. That's like some psychopathic, like, thin burn. It's like... Seriously. Okay. You also haven't seen him use his powers that much. Like, his ability. Right, so like... And it's like really scary when he does. It also kind of helps you understand why the council monitors Grady so much. You didn't really understand it that well until you saw him burn off... His daughter's ex-boyfriend's hand. Right. And you're like, oh, okay. So that's why. It's understandable now. Like, we get it. I do think that that was like a... It was kind of a a nice scene in the only fact that you kind of got to see a different side to him. Yeah, like... Yeah, it gave him some depth beyond, like, being just a parent figure. As well as, like, takes him away from the mourning parent of just someone who's very sad of their child's death it goes into like the anger of losing someone um something interesting i saw here was that sophie actually um sophie actually overcame like the ability restrictor which i hadn't remembered happened she um she tried like she tried positive inflicting and then that kind of um that kind of, and then she said it felt like it kind of overrode the circlet and allowed her to use her inflicting abilities again, which I thought was interesting because that just wasn't something I noticed before. I thought the ability restrictor was 100% effective. It also kind of shows the fact that Sophie is still more powerful than what you expect her to be. Like, the council thought she was completely, like disabled because of it and she was like nope still too powerful i'm gonna be so inclined to see what sophie's like when she gets when she grows into her full potential oh yeah absolutely like once she's trained in all of her abilities for like for for years i feel like that's gonna be a frightening sight to behold like her dad is a mesmer. And she's sitting there with like five abilities. The unstoppable duo. No boy is going to want to come over for dinner. Ever. Alright. Um, in, so in, in the Brant scene, I feel like, I don't know. I want to talk about Dex. I realize I talk about Dex a lot. <laughs> and I'm sorry. but He's your baby. He's he your is baby. my baby. He is my baby. And so, so, so Dex arrives after Sophie pulls her panic switch, and um, I just, I just want to talk about exactly how much trauma this boy goes through. Like, 
not just in the first book, we've already talked about everything in the first book, but like still going on through this book because first of all, one, Brant burns him again in this scene. It's and it's like which is like a callback to the first book, but like if you can just think about like how I, I don't know how that must have felt for him in that scene to like have to remember all the stuff that he and Sophie went through at the end of the first book. Like we see that he's still like he's still really bothered by it even in much later books. So it's like I don't know. I just really I just really feel I feel for him. I'm he also gets a huge burn on his neck. That's not going to completely heal probably. He's going to have that scar forever. He's going to have a hand mark around his throat as like a 14-year-old, 13, 14-year-old. Like the level of PTSD he must see around like fire and like really hot objects. Oh god, yeah. I'm so glad that the Black Swan doesn't have like a initiation scene. Yeah, that would be awful. Like, let's burn a cow iron into your arm. Dex would like cry. Right. So, the sucker punch. But like he just like goes after him. Like even through all that like PTSD, he still was like I'm going to take this dude out. Wakanda forever. I cannot at, at the moment. I'm trying to recall another moment where we see a member of the quote unquote good guys um use physical violence and i'm coming up short like w- w- you know the end of never seen that definitely happens that's a whole thing and we'll get into that but um has there ever been another time where we've seen a character use physical violence against sandor sandor true every book that's true. Sandor. <laughs> My dude. Okay, fair point. I was more thinking of elves because, yes, I am going to tie this back to the whole breaking from guilt thing because I'm still not over that. I still don't get it. And I'm still... <laughs> you built this world. I'm going to hold you to its consequences. But the point is, I don't know. It's just, it's just really curious because I think this is the first time we see a character use physical violence with... with with, with very little in between the fact that I punched someone in Gotham Heart. And I feel like there's something there that doesn't get explored. That's interesting. Just, just interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was saying I, I can't actually think of any other time like a quote-unquote good elf has used violence except for maybe um, Keith when he and Dimitar had like the duel thing. But, like, even so, that was, it was a duel. It was, like, an organized fight. It wasn't just, like, you know, Dex taking out Brant with one punch. Yeah, but, like, this whole scene is, like, riddled with violence. You watch Greddy burn off, like, Brant's hand and then... Oh, right, yeah. That's physical violence. (laughs) Dex, like, karate chops him. This dude just gets beat up. By, like, two 13-year-olds and a very angry dad. It's just a bad day for him. Yeah, he's not, he's not having a great time. He did so well at the beginning. And then he just lost his footing. Yeah, true. It's like, think of this from Brand's perspective. Like, all in one day, he, you know, he gets exposed as a member of the Never Scene. 
gets his hand burned off and then gets and then gets beaten up by a preteen. These OP preteens. Well, I mean, everyone in this book gets beaten up by a preteen because the main characters are preteens. Sometimes you just got to accept that. Is is Sophie not the 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 definition of an OP preteen? She's just. I love the fact that like everyone in the books gets beaten up by the preteens. <laughs> Don't fear the never seen. Don't fear the black swan. Fear the preteens. I just like not to be that girl, but this is the thing that shakes me. If guilt breaks people and your characters do things without guilt that puts you in some interesting positions if 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 if, like and i i think let me know if i'm wrong i may be um i think when grady starts to straight up set his arm on fire um sophie stops him by Telling him, hey, the guilt's going to break you. You can't do this. But it's like, it's like, oh, if you kill someone, the guilt will break you and you'll be gone forever. But if you burn someone's arm off brutally, the guilt will be fine. You, more specifically, you burn the handoff of the man you've been giving, like, sweets to that actually murdered your daughter. Right, like, how can you not feel guilt over that? And, like, if guilt is the thing that breaks you, then, like, honestly, I feel like the whole you can't feel guilt or you're going to break thing, like, in practice, it should really be amended to, like, you break if you cause permanent damage. Because that seems like, that seems to be more, that seems to be closer to the actual, to determining who actually breaks and who doesn't. I also think that, like, something that may help the elves in a certain perspective is, like, maybe they should start trying to do, learn guilt in certain little pieces, you know? Like, learning the behavior and introducing it slowly. Because maybe the elves in the beginning of time had a superiority complex that never allowed them to feel guilt. And so later on, when people started matching up to them and the civilization started becoming more equal. They never had that skill that they learned. So maybe it's something they have to learn. Not something to be avoided. Because that is a super interesting topic throughout the entirety of the series. Like, examining characters and how they respond to when they do something wrong. I just thought it was really interesting how, like, when they go back with, like, Forkel and stuff and they... Oh, I'm jumping. Sorry. We find out that it's not Keith's dad. It's his mom. She's the one who attacks him. Like, imagine finding out your mom is the one who's like, is was trying to kill you, and she knew it was you. And you're like, yeah, that scene at Mount Everest must have been like such a punch to the gut for Keith. Talk about like a icebreaker at family dinners. Like, imagine, like, Keith's dad not even, like, knowing what's going on. Is <laughs> Keith and, like, his mom just, like, stare at each other? Mm-hmm. Like, pass the green beans. I don't know, can you not kill me if I do it? <laughs> he has ammunition for the rest of his life. 
He's a get-out-of-jail-free card. When I first read Everblaze, I freaked out when I thought Sandor was dead. He's my boy. Sandor is my boy. So when I read that, I was, like, crying for, like, hours. I didn't want to read ahead and find out that he actually died. Like, Sandor is my boy. That giant squeaky toy of a man. So to finish out the book, we have um, the last scene where Sophie and the gang finally decide to join the Black Swan for real, and that's, like, the last line. Um, And then that's the end. I have a whole discussion on this, like, who in their right mind lets 13-year-olds go and, like, join the Black Swan? Like, they literally just end the book with, like, let's go join the Black Swan. Like, let's go join a terrorist organization. And all their parents were like, that sounds reasonable. And, yeah, Alden even, like, endorses this. He's just like, yeah, the council is wrong. The Black Swan is right. You guys should go join them. And, like, it's like, hmm, you're supposed to be the responsible adult here. I'm sitting here like, what did you, were you thinking about this? Did you pack them peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and said, hope you do great in your terrorist organization? Like, who in their right mind just lets their kid go off and be like, let's go kill people. You don't know what they're doing. Could you imagine being like Alden and Grady and Adeline? Like, well, some kids, they come home after curfew. My kids have to go join a terrorist organization to avoid being arrested. <laughs> God, please, give us, like, give us a short story from the perspective of the adults, like, while all this stuff is going on. Wow, they just, where's Sophie? She hasn't been home in a while. Shows up, where have you been? I, I killed someone and I found out that the Eiffel Tower is fake. Like, oh, okay. Dinner's on the table. Sorry, that's my whole rant on that situation. I just was always pissed about that. <laughs> now that we've finished Everblaze, what are like do you guys have any final thoughts? R.I.P. <laughs> Big rip <laughs> to the man, the myth, the legend. Are we just not gonna say his name? No. It hurts too much. <laughs> I forgot how good Everblaze was until I reread it. Like, my, like, at the time that I was reading it, I think, like, Everblaze, not Everblaze, Exile, I thought Exile was my favorite book, but now I think Everblaze might actually have to take that title, because I just, it was just, like, really, it was, like, surprisingly well-written, and I don't mean that in a way of, like, saying that Caudalk isn't well-written, but um, it felt like such a jump up from Exile. It felt more grown up. It, like, felt more grown up. Yeah, it felt more grown up. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, the plot was great. There was the characters. There was a lot of character development. Dex. I've said enough about Dex. But, like, yeah, I just, I really love this book, actually. I feel like uh, Shannon in this book, one of the reasons why it's one of my top keeper books She didn't shy away from any of the topics they discussed. Like, she didn't, like, just, like, throw it in there for, like, the story's sake. She really went into detail about it. And because of that, it felt like a more... You got to see more of the story than you were used to seeing. 
And I think because of where this falls, like book one, if you want to, if, if you want to say like book one is this is the world we live in. This is your main conflict. Here's an instance of dealing with it. Book two is. Okay, let's alter something about about the world we know. Something goes wrong. What do you what do you do from there? How do you deal with it? And then book three is all right. We've had a book to set up where we are and what's the issue. We've had a book to throw a wrench into it and then return to status quo. This is book three. You've now got a trilogy. You've got to raise the stakes in some fashion. And I'm just trying to think of like other. It also starts to set up like the conflict for later books because this is the first time we start to see actual like never seen conflicts come into play and lady gisella even now is 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 a major villain and so it's like okay like this is the third book here we go essentially it's a lot darker than i think maybe not a lot but darker than a lot of the other books you get your first major character death and that has consequences that has ramifications and so yeah the stakes are higher and 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 it's why that that ending of let's go join the black swan doesn't feel as jarring as it might say after exile because things have changed to a point where you can be like yeah okay maybe to joining a terrorist organization really is your best option that's a sad best option but it is the best option. Sometimes that's just how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> to kind of uh, finish off the episode, so, Star, um, at the beginning of the at the beginning of this episode, we were talking a bit about the unlocked cover. So, like, and like, not to put you on the spot or anything, but I was wondering if you've seen it. I have. Do you have any thoughts about it? I have not poured over every detail of it, namely because my eyes are tired and so far I haven't had the chance to like pull up a decently sized image of it. But Okay, first of all, probably the color scheme of it is just cuz that's a cool color scheme, but I don't know. I'm used to whenever you get like different colors split into sections, my brain instantly goes, "Are we doing some element stuff?" And that's where my brain instantly went again. Are we doing some element stuff? We're probably not going to be, but I'm curious. Um, I kind of wonder if it would be so cool. I love element stuff. Um, but like that's where my brain went just because that's how I'm used to seeing element stuff formatted, for lack of a better word, I guess. Um, I'm... Let me know if I'm wrong, but it almost kind of looks like she's teleporting. Like, that's the vibe I get, because you've got a bunch of different places, and Sophia and Alicorn in the middle of it. And we know that Sophia and Alicorn can flash to different places, can, can jump to different places, and that's that, like, that's what it looks like to me. Or like, like, some sort of representation of maybe teleportation. I'm not sure. And then, I guess last is... I feel like this is in a lot of and in, in a few ways the the purpose of unlocked was to be like let's take a look at more of the world, more of the characters, more world building details, more information and that's that's what the cover's doing essentially. It's it's 
you get all these little images of places we know about but haven't seen on a cover yet. Now, the only thing it's missing is, you know, uh, a character detail that we haven't seen in, in a while. And that, you know, I'm not going to say, what's the best way to put this? And the only thing that's missing is uh, a detail about a character that, I mean, I personally have really wanted to find out. And it's, what does Dex look like now? Can we put Dex on a cover? Yes, I know he's on the box art. Yes, I know. But that feels like a consolation prize. Can we please put Dex on a cover? Put Dex, still Dex on, on a cover. cover. But other than that, I think it's lovely. I did like this cover a lot, but yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I saw it. I was like, mm, Dex isn't on a cover again. I don't know what I expected. But at the same time, it's like kind of too pretty for me to complain about it. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's. That tunic is just so pretty. I just love the tunic in the cover. I think it's so beautiful. It is. It's, it, I mean, I've never spoken on the Legacy cover, and I don't know anything about art. But I like the, the composition, I guess, of this a lot more than I, than I did the Legacy cover. And it feels right in some ways like of course sophie is like of course this is how it has to be it would be you couldn't really fit another character into it it's 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 really nice it's gonna be fun to read also the little o with the lock cheesy as heck i love it yes i love the little lock i think it's great so let's move on to social media then so you can message us at KeeperCast on Tumblr or the KeeperCast on Instagram and you can and you can find me at Malamelting on Tumblr and Instagram. Um you can find me just on Instagram as uh Boyer underscore Tegan. I do not have a Tumblr though. And I don't really have a social media presence, but if you read fanfiction, you can find me at Stardreamer2 on AO3, where I sometimes post things. This has been KeeperCast. See you next week.